Langley Event Center. Your move. Ryan Dimitri. Left wing behind the net. A hold on Hardy at the side. Dimitri scores! He's going to step on Schmeeb and Byron to win it scores! Kevin Connaughton, you've got company! Bowen Byron's fifth overtime winning goal of the season! Hello everyone, welcome to episode 2 of Giant Thoughts, the podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Hocko. And today we have an exciting show in store for you. We have the voice of the Vancouver Giants, Dan O'Connor... Coming up later on in the show, um, he joined me for about 45 minutes to talk about the 2007 Memorial Cup, who's just celebrating the 13th anniversary of the their national championship team, the documentary that was recently done about him, and also just some overall highlights from this past season that was shortened due to the COVID pandemic. We talked a little bit about the slow start, uh, the winning streak, what kind of got them to that point, and what could have happened should have playoffs been played out um before i get to to all that with dan um uh, there's some news in the whl media circles that i would like to kind of address kind of talk about a little bit as it does affect me personally um for those of you who have not heard by now dubnetwork.ca has ceased coverage uh stopped everything in the light of the covid pandemic after some what i would assume is some well thought out meetings and discussions and ultimately, Paul and the gang felt that it was the best decision to cease operations for now and kind of see where everything goes once hockey's back. And obviously, a sad day for all of us involved with the website. That's the site that gave me my start in the hockey world. It's it's something that I'll always be grateful for. And it's basically everything I've done up to this point is more or less involving Dub Network. They've been a big reason for all of this. But in a positive standpoint, when one door closes, another one opens, and that door that's opening is this podcast, of course. Um, those, my hockey writing might be taking a bit of a hit. I'm not sure what I'll be doing with that. And for the foreseeable future, I still have this podcast where I can talk to people like Ben a couple weeks ago and Dan for this episode. So I feel lucky in that sense that I'm not completely kind of left out on my own trying to figure out what i'll be doing next i still have this so that's exciting um very excited to to see what kind of other guests i can get on in the future but yeah and in the whole grand scheme of things it is sad to see a junior hockey media outlet close it's already kind of a kind of a market that is lacking coverage as it is so when we see when we see us losing people rather than gaining it's always sad um so yeah, I just wanted to kind of take the time to to bring that up, say thank you to to Paul, to Jesse, Brandon, Josh, all those guys that whether they help me editing my articles, kind of giving me tips on how to make them sound better, or just helping me get some interviews. It's it's all hasn't gone unnoticed with any of you guys. So I just wanted to take the time to say thank you to them. Um, and turning into the into Giants news, obviously for those that are that have been kind of following the Giants on Twitter the last few days. They just replayed the 2007 Memorial Cup final against the Medicine Hat Tigers on YouTube on what was Saturday night, May 30th. 
it was it was very interesting to see how hockey has changed so much within the last 13 years since that game was played. Um, the WHL then was a lot more heavy hitting, a lot, a lot more, a lot more bulkier game of hockey for for lack of a better term. Um, nowadays, it's more fast, skillful. Um, I've noticed that the players from the 2007 game, both on the Medicine Hat and the Vancouver side, a lot of those players had full-on beards at the ages of 18, 19, 20 years old. And you kind of see these kids nowadays, and you, it's hard to tell if they're 19, if they're 15. Um, it just kind of seems like, I don't know, like the hormones have kind of changed in the last decade plus. Um, I kind of touched on that with Dan a little bit in the interview. It just seems kind of weird to me. You, you, you still see guys now like Buffaro, um, Dimitri last year, even Dawson Holt, for what I think I can remember, grew pretty good playoff beards in their in their long finals run last year. So, just something I kind of noticed too. Another thing that another note I kind of took away from watching this game, which is a game I haven't actually fully watched in a long time, so it was nice to nice to be able to to watch that again. Was seeing what I believe was a 15 year old Evander Kane dressing for a national championship final game, which was. His just his second game of the Memorial Cup tournament. Um, obviously, he didn't play much as he was as he was just a underage call up. But it's just kind of cool to see that caliber of player at such a young age before he kind of blew up into a World Junior gold medalist and a fourth overall NHL pick. Um, so it was definitely cool to see stuff like that. Seeing guys like Milan Lucic, who's carved out quite a successful NHL career, including a Stanley Cup. Um, and the the kind of the junior hockey nerd in me kind of takes me down these rabbit holes of looking up all these players 13 years later and see kind of how they panned out or what they do nowadays if they're still playing hockey. Um, it's just kind of something that I, I like to take the time to dig through and kind of get some knowledge on that where a lot of people might think it's kind of useless knowledge. But to me, it's, it's kind of cool to just follow up on all these guys because this is a team that is one of the most noticeable notable teams in BC hockey history because if you kind of if you kind of look back in retrospect this 2007 Memorial Cup team is one of the biggest it's one of the biggest championships the city of Vancouver has seen for a sports team other than the BC Lions and their Grey Cups like the only major sports team we have is the Canucks who have come close a couple times but have never been able to to overcome the hurdle of winning a Stanley Cup so as crazy as it sound, as crazy as it may sound to hear, that Giants team is one of the most important Vancouver sports teams in the province's history. So it's very cool to to kind of to see these players, like I said, 13 years later, seeing which ones are kind of made it, like the Cody Fransons, the Milan Luciches, even Jonathan Blum, who is still playing hockey over in Europe. Um, it's just cool to see these guys. So that was fun to watch. Um, I think I think with that we're going to take it over to Dan. Uh, very insightful interview, very informative, and um, I can't thank him enough for taking the time to to have these well thought out answers. And yeah, like I say at the end of the interview, he's one of the best around the league. So without further ado, Dan O'Connor. Today's guest is the former voice of the Dawson Creek Junior Canucks, the Battleford. North Stars, the Prince George Cougars, and is currently the voice of the Vancouver Giants and noted good guy. Welcome to the show, Dan O'Connor. 
Well, it's uh, it's good to be on this show, and thank you for the chronological introduction, Steve. <laughs> it's uh, it's great to chat with you, and looking forward to uh, to where the discussion takes us today. I'm really excited to have you on. It you've been you've been a big part of everything I've done with covering the Giants the last year and a bit. So I'm excited for this conversation as well. Um, I kind of wanted to get things kicked off with with your documentary that you had air um, not too long ago. Uh, one of our friends, Caden Fanshaw. Did it through BCIT. I just kind of want to, kind of want to hear how that all kind of went down. What did like? How did Caden come up to you and kind of ask you to do a documentary? Not many people can say they have one about themselves. Yeah, you know what? Um, the documentary took on a bit of a life of its own, and um, I, I, I think had I known at the time where this w- was all leading, uh, I think I, I probably would have still said yes. Um, but, but obviously it's, 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 it's really interesting. I, I love watching documentaries. I love reading documentaries about other people. Um, then all of a sudden when you have the camera on you, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a bit of a weird feeling and a bit of a weird dynamic i suppose but um anyway uh i remember it would have been probably mid to late january and we the giants had a home game and after the game we had just finished doing our media availability at the end of the game and i i I remember that we won the game and Caden Fanshaw, who, uh, again, is, is a BCIT broadcasting student, or, or was, I think he, he may have graduated. Yeah. He, um, I've known him for a long time, actually. He and I knew each other from, from my time at Prince George, and that's where Caden is from. He approached me at the end of the media availability one night and said, Hey, Dan, I've, I've got something to ask you. And, and you might have even been there, Steve, too, when this initial conversation took place. But, you know, he told me that he and some of his classmates had to do a, a documentary for, for a final school project. And the basis of that was that they would need to follow me around for a day in the life. And um, that would mean... You know, following me around with a camera and learning about the job, learning about kind of what what a day, I guess, in, in the life of Dan O'Connor would look like. And, you know, I, I remember there being a bit of an audience around us when he posed that question. And, you know, I, I think the reason why I said yes, sure, I'll do it, is because I, I'd been in his shoes before. i have been in broadcasting school, and I remember having to ask a number of people in the business at various points in time to to do an interview or to, do, or to let me do kind of a day-in-the-life radio introduction of sorts to something like that. And while I never followed somebody else around with a camera and chronicled their every move for a day... Mm-hmm. Um, I've been there and I, I know that being a student and, and having to, to do a project like that isn't always easy. And I, I, you know, fortunate to work with, with the Vancouver Giants, an organization who historically over the years has always been very helpful to students. 
And um, I think back to even when I was a student, the Vancouver Giants were always so accommodating to me as I was trying to cut my teeth and practice my play-by-play. Um, so I, I said yes on the understanding that I didn't think the Giants would mind and, and you know, said yes because I knew Caden and I trusted him. And, um, you know, so, so Caden and two of his classmates came to a, a game in late February. They had the cameras rolling from about 1 o'clock in the afternoon through to about 11 o'clock that night after the Giants had defeated the Victoria Royals. And, you know what, it was, um, it, it was quite an experience, you know, having, having cameras kind of follow your every move and having to, you know, do your best to just function as you ordinarily would with mm-hmm. uh with a camera following you around i i guess i kind of felt and learned what it's like to be around uh, you know to be on reality tv to be on a game show like survivor i guess but um at the end of the day um the giants won the game so that was the best thing that happened <laughs> that day yeah. uh we beat the victoria royals beat them handily three nothing if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. and um you know, Caden and his classmates told me at the end that they had more than enough to to put together a, a good project. And so in my mind, I'm like, great, okay, phew, I'm done with this. Um, a few weeks later, early on in the pandemic, Caden and I did a, we had a Zoom conversation, which ended up lasting nearly two full hours. We, we chatted about, you know, highlights of my career and you know we we parted ways that day and he said okay i'm gonna get to work on this and should have the finished project to run by you you know within the week Mm -hmm. and much to my surprise he said look dan this this eight minute video this eight minute project that we were supposed to have is now going to be close to about 24 or 25 minutes and um you know, that threw me for a bit of a loop, but um, I guess with with the material that he had uncovered and some of the other interviews that he had done for the for the project, uh, it, it, it definitely morphed into a bit of a life of its own. And before you know it, there's this 30-minute documentary that I'm watching about me on a Sunday night along <laughs> with everybody else. And it was, um, you know, the... The response to it was was very positive. Uh, you know, I received a lot of well wishes and text messages from from friends of mine and, and from colleagues in hockey who took the time to watch it. And uh, and there were there were a lot of nice things said. Um, I still maintain that um, if if anybody is going to get credit and if anybody is going to be praised for the efforts pertaining to the documentary that i think it should all go to Caden, rebecca and matt they uh they did the legwork they did the, the the heavy lifting and and all i really did was was answer their questions and and live my life as truthfully and as authentically as i possibly could with cameras following me around um and and i mean really the, the second thing that i just continue to want to stress is that you know, to have gotten to the point that I currently am in my career and in my life, there's no chance that I would be here without uh, without a lot of help and a lot of support along the way. And that support starts, of course, with, with family and with, you know, my fiancé, my friends, 
And then, of course, a, a long list of people professionally that have really stepped up and helped me so much over the years. Um, and that, to me, was the biggest thing that I wanted to try and impress upon people during the documentary is that, you know, I've, I've had the great fortune to, to do something that I've loved to do professionally for my entire professional career, but there's no way I'm here were it not for people going out of their way to help me and people going out of their way to help me grow and help me learn. And, uh, if, if people take one thing away from that, it's that, um, I'm grateful, I'm appreciative and, um, I wouldn't be where I am were it not for a, a long list of people that have that have done a lot of great things to help me out along the way. Very well said, and like like you said, you've kind of been passing the torch in a sense like that. You've you've kind of been the guy that's giving us making our lives easier, trying to get interviews and trying to get stories done. So it's it's kind of nice to see that's come full circle, and you're kind of showing us how how gracious gracious you should be when trying to deal with young and up and coming journalists. So. It's something that I've been a very appreciative for a long time of you. Um, and so I, I basically I want to transition to right at the beginning of your career. Um, the, the 2007 Memorial Cup game just got re, replayed last night on YouTube. Um, I understand from what I've seen on your Twitter, you were actually at the airport watching it. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I So, so back then, I, I would have just started my career in... Chetwind and Dawson Creek and it was it was crazy because while I was away in northern BC starting my career we still had a Vancouver Giant living at, at our house in Tawasson and that was Mitch Seaver he wore number 18 for the Giants and the year they won the Memorial Cup we had him in our house for two years and you know I, I had left to start my career the, the previous August so it would have been August 2006 and um, I remember coming home that May. My birthday is May 25th. And I remember mm-hmm. coming home for my birthday weekend, you know, just to come home and see some buddies and, and do what any other 21-year-old yeah. would want to do. And that's just come home and, and you know, go have beers with yeah. my friends that I hadn't seen in forever. And uh, one of the things that I did during that stay was we went to the semifinal game against Plymouth where the, uh, the Giants won the game 8-1. And um, I remember being at the game that night and watching the Giants you know, punch their ticket to the Memorial Cup final, and I was devastated. <laughs> I was gutted by the fact that um, I had to work. I had to be back to work on Monday back in Chetland, and I... There was no way that I could justify staying down and, and watching the game. And I, from what I remember about the day, it was my parents dropping me off at the airport um, mm-hmm. to, to go home. And then they went to the Pacific Coliseum right after <laughs> dropping me off at the airport. Right so to the like, game. Yeah, see you later, son. Yeah. <laughs> watch the Giants win a national championship. Yeah. And, uh, and you're going to be at the airport. And so I remember, you know, watching the start of the game from the airport bar and, and just just being filled with envy and excitement. And, you know, Mitch Sieber and I remain very close friends to this day. And I, I just remember talking to him and, you know, being able to kind of share in, in his excitement a little bit as he was getting ready for the biggest game of his life. And, 
Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't on the Pacific Coliseum for, for the the fateful moment when the Giants won the, the Memorial Cup, but I had a, a front row seat from my, my seat at the airport bar. And, um, you know, what I remember about that day, and, and Dale Sight might have to clarify this one day down the road, but they, they had won the Memorial Cup, and, and I, I had a sports show that I hosted in Shetland called The Home Stretch. And I remember trying to get on the phone with Dale because he was always so instrumental in getting me guests. And it was either, you know, it might have been that Monday or even Tuesday or Wednesday trying to line up guests for the next show. And I remember there were a number of giants that were golfing. And, and Dale might have been playing. I, Brett Festerlin, Milan Lucic, and Kendall McCardle are the three names that come to mind. Yeah. And, and it was one of these things where I remember they were on the golf course and they, they were kind of like passing the phone back and forth <laughs> to me. Um, so I, I was, I'd be chatting with one of them and then, you know, Milan Lucic would give me an answer or two and then, hold on, I got a putt. Yeah. <laughs> so then he, he would pass the phone to, you know, to Brett Festerling and, and I would talk to him for a few and then, you know, Kendall McCardle would get the phone and, and I'd pick his brain. It was just a, a funny memory I had, you know, speaking with these guys Days after they had won the Memorial Cup, I, I still maintain that I don't think any of them had, had slept in wink yeah. in two or three days after that celebration. But um, yeah, so so that was how I recall the 2007 Memorial Cup unfolding. You know, as a as a young broadcaster, literally just you know starting his career and getting getting into the the swing of it. When, when I compare that 2007 team to last year's 2019 team that made it to the finals, does, is it just me or does it seem like the, t- the team from 2007, they all looked 10 years older than, than the 20-year-olds and 19-year-olds from last year? I don't know what it is. These, these guys from 13 years ago look a lot bigger than the, the kids that are playing now. Yeah, and, and you know what? It, it's, it was a different game, and uh, I, I think even... Cody Franson was was well, it was either Kane or Cody. One of them was never drafted. But but I know that there, there were just so many players on that 2007 team that 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 were just found money for the Vancouver Giants. And you know you touched on the fact like how how old and menacing they looked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I, I guess you know the 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 2019 Giants had their had their menacing look, you know, they had their menaces as well. I mean, I think about Dallas Hines could, could grow a pretty nasty beard and, you know, Jared Jared Dimitri and Brett Festerling actually, you know, looking eerily similar with their beards, kind of thinking back to, to the two captains, you know, Buffero can grow a beard just as well as anybody. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, you know, different, different kind of game. And, And what was interesting to me looking at that 07 team is, you know, there wasn't a single giant on that team that, that was a point per game that season, during the regular season. I mean, Milan Lucic, I think, led the team in scoring with 60-odd points. Mm-hmm. And, and don't get me wrong, they had about six or seven or eight guys who all had 45 points or more. So so it came collective. But, you know, J.D. Watt had 34 goals that season. It's, it's not like they had a 50-goal guy. It's not like they had a 100-point guy. And, and the... the, the 
the interesting parallel for me in all of that was the 2019 Giants were fairly similar. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, sure, you had Bowen Byram who was you know 70 points, and Davis Kosh had you know uh, just slightly over a point per game, but you know the Giants didn't have this this automatic top scoring line that could just run roughshod over everybody. They beat you with depth, they beat you with goaltending, and they beat you with structure. And I think that proved to be a real benefit to the Giants and their march to the 2019 final because, you know, sure, the Seattle Thunderbirds had one or two lines that could could really score consistently and and likewise with the Spokane Chiefs, but uh, I maintain that it was the fact that the Giants could roll four lines comfortably and could play any of their six defensemen without really skipping a beat. You had the goaltending tandem of David Tendick and Trent Minor, and there was just no real weakness uh, when it came to the Vancouver Giants of, of 2018-19. And coming into this season, you kind of, a lot of people were kind of expecting a similar kind of jump from them, bringing in a lot of that, those core guys, though albeit they were, they were kind of second, they were kind of the secondary guys from the previous year, but obviously things didn't start off as good as everybody was kind of hoping. Um, it picked up at Christmas time. What what do you kind of feel was the turnaround point for the Giants? Yeah, um, it, it was definitely an interesting season. You know, being a few months removed from it now, and, and being able to kind of look back and reflect on the expectation and, and how everything kind of unfolded, and just the way everything took place and I, I think first things being first I mean you have these preseason media polls you've got all this expectation circling around the Vancouver Giants and I think immediately there was a pressure mm-hmm. no doubt um, and a pressure uh, compounded by the fact that every single time the Giants took the ice against anybody uh, I think they had a target on their back for sure um, there were there were nary a night that I can really recall where you didn't get the best effort from the team at the other side simply because you were the Vancouver Giants, you were at Game 7 overtime at the WHL final, and um, every team in the WHL had a point to prove against the Giants when they went up against them, and that, that can be hard. Uh, you touched on the fact that um, you know there were a lot of returning a lot of returning players from 1819, but you know there was also a, a big influx of youth and and new players and new personalities to the fold as well. And I think that um, you know when you when you have the kind of season that you had in 2018-19, you learn how tough it is to win, and you learn how. You know, you need to have skill, you need to have the discipline, but you also need a bit of luck to go your way as well. And, you know, at the start of the season, I think you you had all these expectations. You had you had a confidence from the veterans because they had just lived what they had just lived a few months back. But then all of a sudden, too, you've got this new influx of players who who are trying to make an impression, who are trying to kind of establish themselves in the league, and you've got a number of factors that, that for one reason or another just weren't leading to victories right off the hop. 
And you know what? I, I had a front row seat to it. I was around the guys every day. I mean, it, it wasn't a chemistry thing. It wasn't, um, it, you know, you, you can't even say that it was anything glaringly negative. And I think it was just a matter of bad luck. You know, well, a bit of bad luck, but also just a bit of, 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 guys trying to kind of figure out their roles and their identities a little bit you know justin sort of goes from a 16 year old playing with milos roman and Braden watts you know not a whole lot of pressure and expectation Mm -hmm. on his shoulder and then all of a sudden it's like okay justin it's your draft year um you're our first line right winger now and you're gonna have to be the guy every single night so yeah, it's. Uh, I, I don't doubt for a second that, that Justin, you know, isn't capable of, of doing that. And I think in many ways he showed that he's absolutely capable of that this season. But but it's tough. And with that, the, the, there's a bit of a process. There's a bit of a learning curve. There's a bit of patience required in a situation like that. You've got Bowen Byram, the best defenseman in junior hockey, returned to your team. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's been... You know, fairly outspoken in some interviews saying that, you know, he wasn't at his best and he was putting a lot of pressure on himself and he was kind of putting the weight of the Vancouver Giants on his shoulders, you know, especially early on, trying to lead them to victory and maybe trying to do a little bit too much. And, you know, all of a sudden by December, you've got a team that's kind of teetering around the 500 mark, winning a game, losing two, winning two, then losing two. Um, you know, until January, the Giants weren't able to win more than three games in a row at any point in the season. And then, again, based on the factors discussed, but mm-hmm. you know, even even in November, Steve, there were signs that, that things were taking a turn for the better. Um, yeah. Barkley Parnetta, I think, deserves a lot of credit for two moves made in November that that at the time didn't get much of any real fanfare, but. Um, he added Michael Vasnika to the team for free, mm-hmm. and he added Holden Katzelay to the team for free. And the, those were two forwards who, you know, kind of came in and worked hard in the beginning. And, and you could see flashes, like like five or six games later for each guy, you could see that, 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 that things were starting to click. And then, you know... A trade made in early December with the Medicine Hat Tigers. It was a blockbuster. It mm-hmm. was a big deal. Um, seeing Lucas Fakovsky and Dylan Plouffe traded to Medicine Hat in exchange for Tyler Perzuzo and Trevor Longo and a first-round draft pick. Right. Um, Perzuzo and Longo came came in and, you know, j- just talk about a positive influx of energy into a dressing room and, and this is this is not to be disparaging in the least mm-hmm. to Dylan Plouffe or Lucas Vakovsky because those players were were, were, were good players they, they were good Giants they both put a big part in the Giants run to the final a year ago um, but if you're going to make a trade in Yankee you got to give something to get something and at that point in time I mean Prezuzo was was the kind of player that, that just had he had the most games played of any active WHLer. He could skate like the wind. He mm-hmm. he had close to twenty goals at that point in time, and 
or, or I think he was kind of on pace for 20 at yeah. that point in time. And I think it was just, you know, it, it was a good fit. And then with Longo, you were getting, you know, another solid two-way veteran defenseman that, you know, you could just kind of plug in and, and he could do a little bit of everything for you. He could move the puck. He could jump into the play. He could handle himself physically. And, and I think that just that they're... I think Medicine Hat certainly got better mm-hmm. by bringing in the two players that they did, and the Vancouver Giants got better by bringing in the two that they did. And that, to me, is the kind of hockey trade that you like to see because both teams benefit and gain from it. Um, then come the trade deadline, Barkley Parnetta uses that first-round pick, yep. packages it with Evan Patrician, sends uh, sends that package to Saskatoon for Eric Florchuk. And... You know, at that point in time, I mean, the Giants were still kind of hovering around 500, you know, comfortably in a playoff spot, but certainly nowhere near the top three of the division at the time. And then Eric Florchuk comes in, and, I mean, you just talk about a fit. That was Um, my favorite acquisition of the season for the team. It turned everything around for them. Well, and, and like, even when Florchuk got there it didn't happen overnight necessarily Mm -hmm. but you know he joins the team in Spokane gets an assist next night the Giants come home and they lose a squeaker to the Chiefs I think it was a it was you know two games that the Giants lost to Spokane and and I think certainly the case could have been made in one or both that the Giants deserve better and you know I, I could see it in Michael Dick's expression you know having to answer for some of these losses after games and it was like you you know sometimes a coach will say yeah we lost but we deserve better because he's just trying to take the pressure off his team i could genuinely sense and see with my own two eyes that Mm -hmm. like the giants in many of these games did deserve better but they were just getting no like like it would always be one goal short or, or a goal post short or the one mistake you make in the third period in a 1-1 game costs you. And these were games that the Giants were just winning a year ago. But then, you know, credit Michael Dick and credit the organization and credit the players for sticking with it. Mm -hmm. Because then all of a sudden you get into mid-January and I remember, you know, they they beat the Victoria Royals in back-to-back games Eric Florchuk gets a hat trick against the Royals and all of a sudden you've got two lines now on this team that are really starting to pump the puck into the net. And then this third line of Cole Shepard, Holden Katsalay and Michael Vasnika is really starting to, to discover some chemistry together. And then you get into late January and, and everything just kind of fell into place. And, you know, I I chronicled it earlier in the pandemic on the Mm -hmm. Giants website, you know, the 11 games of winning and going through each individual game of the 11 game winning streak and kind of what some of the storylines were heading into those games. And the one big takeaway that I had after that process was that, that, you know, similar to the team of a year ago, the Giants weren't winning these games because of one player they were they were winning these games because of contributions throughout their lineup everybody played a part in that winning streak Mm -hmm. and then with that when you have a team clicking 
collectively, you know, Abo and Byram is able to have that kind of run. Justin Sordiff is able to have that kind of run of individual success. Eric Florchuk's stats during that streak were unconscious. Um, and yet the individual accomplishments are, are certainly not nearly as prevalent or or forward in, in the media because the team is having success. Hmm. And I think when the Vancouver Giants historically over the years have been at their best, it's been because of depth and it's been because of, of a collective effort in, um, in banding together for, for the, the greater good of the we, as opposed to the me. Exactly. And then, and a big part of that too, that we haven't mentioned is how the power play basically turned right around at one point being dead last in the league. And I believe when the season stopped, it was, I want to say top 10 or at least top 11. So, and they were clicking at like, yeah, they're clicking at like 40 over 40% for most of the second half. Just ridiculous. So, so one of the, uh, one of the, one of the things that, uh, that I did, and this was, this was fairly early. It feels like, uh, an eternity has gone by since I did this, but, (laughs) but, um, Michael Dick actually tasked me with, with going through each team's power play. Yep. Since since the January 10th trade deadline, and and to kind of see where the Giants stacked up power play wise after the deadline compared to all 21 other teams, and you know, long story short, the Giants had the best power play in the entire WHL, and they and they did it convincingly. Mm-hmm. I think they were about three, four, four or five percent better than the next best team. It was it was an, it was an astounding difference. And you're right, Steve. It was about a forty-two percent success mm-hmm. rate on the power play from the trade deadline on. It was uh, ridiculous. It was something yeah. to see that team scoring the way that they were. And it kind of brings me into what everybody can't help but think is what could have been into the playoffs because. They were kind of getting hot at the perfect time right before playoffs, and now we're all, we're forever left thinking what could have been, and and it would have been against Victoria as well. Yeah, you know what? I, I was really looking forward to the rubber match with the Victoria Wolves. Mm-hmm. That, that rivalry has has really been enjoyable, and I think by and large, I mean, who doesn't like to go to Victoria? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure even you know a lot of those. You know, fellows on the island, they're thinking, oh, you know what, I could take the worst places to go to than, than, than Vancouver and the Lower Mainland to come and play. Um, you know what, I, I think, you know, that they say that the playoffs are are great for rivalries, and I couldn't agree more with that, with that statement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Giants and Royals had... Um, it was kind of like a tale of two seasons, really, with that rivalry, because the, the Victoria Royals won a bunch of games early, and um, you know they were winning a lot of two-one, one-nothing, three-one style of games against the Giants, who just could not solve the Royals to save their lives at the start. And then you know in the second half, I mean, a few injuries and a few changes to rosters, and then all of a sudden you could really start to see. Uh, you know the Giants would were adjusting well, and then the Royals came back and did the same. And uh, I, it would have been a hell of a series. Yeah. It really would have. Um, you know, I think the Giants were well positioned to give the Royals a challenge in that series. It, it 
would have been nice because it would have been a battle to see who would have had home ice. Yeah. And that would have that would have been a major, major factor, I think, in the series. And um, you know, now now as you said, we can only kind of speculate and think about what might have been. And further to that, I mean you had Kamloops and Kelowna who were likely destined to face one another at the other side. Mm. So, you know, the Giants and Blazers were really starting to yeah, put together some really intriguing, entertaining regular season games. And, um, you know, when you look at the rivalry between the Giants and the Blazers, I, I think maybe in the almost 20-year history of the Vancouver Giants, I think they've played the Blazers in the playoffs once, maybe twice. So there's early. not... There's not a huge playoff history mm-hmm. between the Giants and the Blazers, so uh, you know certainly not looking beyond the Victoria Royals because that's foolishness. But yeah. you know, the hockey fan in me was was really intrigued about the possibility of having the Giants and the Blazers square off in a series because had that been the case, I mean, you would have had just this electric Kamloops offense Mm -hmm. going up against a a Giants team that for my money I think had the still had the best goaltending tandem in the WHL and the best and the best defenseman in the WHL so at his peak too he was playing absolutely out of his mind heading into that there you go so so it would have been something and and I think looking looking forward to the to the day that we do get WHL hockey back and we do get to, to return to what we love, uh, I think the Kamloops Blazers on paper anyway are going to have a heck of a team next year as mm-hmm. well. I think the Giants are going to be right there. And uh, I, I hope, it, like, I can say I know that the Giants and Royals rivalry is just going to pick up right where it left off because it's been many seasons now in the making for this one. But, but I think that... There's a Kamloops-Vancouver rivalry that's just waiting yeah. to be explored and just waiting to be expanded upon, and I think it would be pretty fun. And that just keeps up with the, with the whole BC division being one of the most um, entertaining divisions to follow, too. You have Prince George that's going to be coming up in the next few years with all their draft picks they've committed to. It's going to be a very exciting division to watch for the next handful of years. Well, for sure it is. And, um, you know, uh, and I think it's... There's a lot of unknown in the division as well, which I think mm-hmm. adds adds to the intrigue because you, now you've got a Victoria Royals team that uh, has a, a new general manager, uh, a familiar face, because yep. he's also their head coach at Dan Price. So, so that's going to probably bring about certain changes and certain shifts maybe to the philosophy of the organization. Um, you know, you can count the Victoria Royals out all you like, but... Um, they always find a way. Find me a more consistent yeah. playoff team in the BC division in the past, you know, almost 10 years, and I mm-hmm. don't know if you'll find one necessarily. Kelowna, uh, I... It's interesting because, I mean, they were... You know, they should have just been finishing up yeah. their Memorial Cup hosting, and... All of these trades, all of these moves to stack a roster to, to host that tournament, and now nothing. Yeah. I mean, and now it's it's like, well, okay, what was all of that for? Um, but there are still some pieces there with Kelowna that I think are going to make them very competitive. And so, you know, I'm certainly learned my lesson. You, you're never going to 
count out a team with with Bruce Hamilton at the helm and the Kelowna Rockets and their history and their prestige and you know the Prince George Cougars they're they're kind of the wild card in all of this because you uh, you know they had three first round draft picks in 2020 they have some prospects coming through their system that they are very excited about Mm -hmm. and um, you know obviously some of these players that are 15 years old and 16 years old right now in Prince George they're not maybe ready for prime time yet but I mean even even this year's group in Prince George the the 1920 team they gave the Giants a hell of a battle every single time they took the ice and it was a Cougars team that I think towards the end of the season was really starting to kind of trend positively They, they were hanging by a thread to their playoff lives but you know they kept winning and they of course they had that home that that home weekend doubleheader against the Giants in mm-hmm. early March where the Cougars won both of those games and you know that that team is uh it, it's hard to kind of put a it, it's kind of hard to put them in a box because I think if if they, if they can add a piece or two offensively they've got the horses defensively and they've got the goaltender to be a very difficult team to play against uh, Kamloops touched on it. I, I think they're going to be really good again, yeah. just based on who they've got coming back. And you know, Logan Stankoven would have scored thirty. Yeah. Would have. Um, I'm trying to rack my brain a little bit. There haven't been a lot of players to score thirty in their 16 year old season. Nolan Patrick did it. Brett Connolly did it. Patrick Marlowe did it. Mm-hmm. Logan Stankoven was going to do it, and he was probably going to obliterate yeah. the, the previous high. He's he's going to be a hell of a goal scorer in this league if he's not already. Um, Oren Santazo could be 20. Dylan Garand is a year older. He'll be drafted soon. Yeah. Um, Connor Zari. Connor Zari. I mean, yeah. he's uh, he is he is very skilled, very slippery. He's a, he's a really good player. So. Uh, Kamloops, I think, has is, is got to feel good about kind of where they stand and where they stack up. And then the Giants, I mean, obviously there are questions, mm-hmm. but I, I look at, you know, you know, I think we, we've taken Justin Sordiff a little bit for granted the first two seasons that he's had. I mean, yeah. he, we, we expect so much of Justin Sordiff, and yet he's only about to be 18. Um, exactly. Cole Shepard with a full year under his belt now, how much more confident is he going to be now that he kind of knows what to expect? Um, Zacho Stopchuk for me is going to be an interesting one because once he's kind of recovered from an injury, mm-hmm. uh, I feel for Zach because I think he was really starting to come into his own yeah. right around, but you know, before the injury happened in, in late January. So up front, and this is not even getting into the the potential would be twenty year olds with Nielsen with with Florchuk potentially. Um, yeah. The the Giants are going to have some pieces in place that that, that will be able to score and will and will put the puck in the net defensively. Obviously, the main question mark is <laughs> is going to be centered around Bowen Byram. We get to have another yeah. off season of will he or won't he? Um, you know, we got a lot of things to figure out in life yeah. before we it seems we, miles we, away <laughs> yeah. it does but um you know obviously you you have the chance to get a guy like bowen byram back and and you've got a guy that, that could captain the world junior team next year for all i know um mm-hmm. it's uh it'll be really interesting to to see where that all goes and then 
you know, Trent Minor, it, it's finally, it's going to be his crease and goal. And I think he's, uh, the, the one thing I know about Trent Minor is that he is going to, uh, he is going to put the work in and he is going to make sure that he is ready to go when the time is right. So, um, the Vancouver Giants are going to be well positioned, I think, to to be relevant still in the BC division, and they are certainly going to be a, a team that can throw a lot of different looks at you. They're extremely well coached. Uh, they're certainly well managed and well governed. And um, when there's WHL hockey again, mark my words, the mm-hmm. Vancouver Giants are going to be in the conversation. And you're talking about next season. We, there's so many questions about when it's going to start, what's going to be going on. Do you? Do you kind of have any theories, or what? What do you kind of think is going to play out next year? Do you think there's going to be a full sixty-eight game season? Um, just kind of your thoughts on what you think is going to happen next year. Yeah, that's that's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I might just default a little bit to the adage of there are people out there that are way smarter than <laughs> me uh, who are responsible for making these decisions and. Um, I, I think, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind, honestly, is, is the health and well-being of, of people in our society. And right. that's, that is certainly priority number one in all of this. I, I think in British Columbia, we can, uh, we can look and, and speak with pride to the fact that we have done a remarkable job, I think, collectively in making decisions accordingly with what we've been told to do and that's kind of allowed us to to reopen our restaurants and allowing us to kind of enjoy things a little more freely than Mm -hmm. we could you know even a month ago but i mean as far as getting a massive gathering together and having a junior hockey game being played at the lec with with five thousand people in that building again it uh it feels it feels a long way off still and um now now i guess what I will say, and, and this is definitely to do with the Vancouver Giants and, and in a bigger picture to do with the WHL, is I know that there are there are a lot of smart voices and a lot of great ideas being shared and a lot of contingency plans in place. And I know that what, what I can confidently say is that there is a, there is a large group of people that would love nothing more than to have junior hockey back as mm-hmm. soon as possible. Does that look like a full 68 games with, you know, the five U S teams involved with the way things are going down there? I, I have a hard time seeing that necessarily, yeah. but could this work out to be a thing where maybe you condense the, the season and you keep it interprovincial or you, keep it maybe within BC and Alberta and then you figure out a way maybe where it's Alberta and Saskatchewan or, you know, there are ways, there are ways that this can be done. And I think that, um, when, when given the green light to do so, you're going to see some exciting things. You're going to see some, you know, I, I like getting back to some of the technological advancements that we have at our disposal. Um, one of the cool things lately that, that I've been working on, you know, in partnership with some of my other coworkers at the Giants and, and members of the Langley Event Center is taking the league's best webcast and making it yeah. even better. 
um, because that, that I think is certainly a technology that is going to become even more crucial as we move forward as a league and as a sport. And so when will hockey start again? I have no idea. I'm waiting impatiently like the rest of, uh, like the rest of the world for that. Um, what I do know and what I do passionately believe is that, you know, when we come back, it'll be when we're ready and when it makes sense. And, um, you know, you just have to hope that it can happen sooner or later so that, um, number one, you've got, you've got owners and you've got people that, um, that, that need to make this viable for themselves. And, and you also want to do it for the fans and do it for the people that, uh, that use junior hockey as part of their enjoyment, part mm-hmm. of their escape, and part of their day-to-day. Um, we'll get there. Uh, I don't know when, but we will get there. And trust me, when, when that first puck drops, yeah. it, will be, uh, it will be a really enjoyable day and a day that I don't think I'll, I'll ever forget just based on the adversity that we've all had to kind of go through together amidst all of this recently. Just getting goosebumps just thinking of that first puck drop. Um, I uh, thank you for all the time you've you've taken. I've t- already had forty five minutes of you. I kind of went by quick. Um, I appreciate your insight and and I appreciate everything you've done with me for over the last over the last year or so. And yeah, I just want to say thanks for taking the time and giving me some good answers. Well, Steve, it's it's my pleasure. And again, you uh, you know earlier in the conversation we talked about um, you know the Vancouver Giants always being an organization that has done what they can to, to help younger people out, whether it's through internships, whether it's through just, just granting access to younger people who are, who are trying to get their foot in the door and, you know, I'll, I'll forever be grateful to the giants for allowing me that opportunity when I was, um, when I was young. And, um, it certainly is, um, it, it's a pleasure to, to, to do the same thing now in, in my position but I mean you you make it easy you really do you you uh, you do great work for junior hockey you do great work for the Vancouver Giants and um, you know again I, I was very sad to, to read about the dub network and what happened there and I certainly feel for the the many folks yourself included who, who put hours of time and energy into that site and into that product. So it's it's definitely sad to see you know such a great junior hockey resource have to, to close its doors. But um, I have no doubt in my mind that your coverage will continue to be excellent when it comes to the Giants. And you know I look forward to sharing many more conversations and many more hockey stories with you in the uh, in the days, weeks, months, and and seasons to come, man. So keep up the good work with the podcast. Good luck with it. And um, to the two of you that are still tuning in. <laughs> Bearing with us to the end of this conversation, you are yeah. very, very brave, and we commend you and we thank you. I appreciate all the kind words, Dan. You're the best out there. Yeah, thanks, man. Right. I appreciate it.